Wednesday Breakfast acknowledges that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Wandri and Burung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We recognise that sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Breakfast. It is the 29th of May. I am Will. And I'm Edwin. And you're listening to... 3CR, the best 3CR. community radio station in the world. Woo! In the universe, yeah. potentially. Other stations try really hard. But they can't be as cool as us. No. We've got a big <laughs> red background. We really do, we really do. Um, so, yeah, welcome. Welcome. Fun little, fun little story, guys. Um, mm. Will and I have actually been chatting for like the last half an hour. Mm. Uh, we've been outside the studio today. Yeah, I left <laughs> the keys at home, and so we had to ask... The amazing Andy, mm. who's, um, let's Nearby, say, an all-round all 3CR <laughs> stalwart and hero <laughs> who came and let us into the studio. So thanks, Andy. Mm, definitely. Thank um, you. Yeah. It gives insight, I think, though, to yeah. like the, the process of Breakfast Radio. Because obviously, you know, you hear us on air, but yeah. how do we get here? Where do we come yes. from? Um, and I, I don't know, this, this weird negotiation of keys we've got. Uh, Will yes. and I, the, the breakfast, morning, the morning show people uh, each get a key per team, and it's kind of how you negotiate as a, as a group. So yeah. ours is currently under review for both of us who have done yes. this before. Oh, my goodness. Um, but talking about yeah. the breakfast radio shows, mm. uh, Will, I've just got in my hot little hands... <gasps> Um, the Breakfast Radio magazine spread, so our, our yeah. pages. So, so um, first of all, that's the 3CRAM or 3CRAM magazine, mm-hmm. um, although 3CRAM uh, guide, rather, for winter 2019. It's uh, mailed out to all the subscribers. Um, it's available in station as well, and it's basically a rundown of um, features of all of the shows on 3CR, telling mm-hmm. you about the people on them, what it's like to to produce a radio show, what it's like to um, sit on reception at 3CR Community Radio, Mm because it's not just about the shows, it's also about the community around us, um, people who help us organise events and things like that. And there's a... What is there? It's something about breakfast. There's a super cool two-page spread on breakfast. Now, this Mm -hmm. was made by all of the breakfast teams and um, kind of put together by our fantastic uh, producer. Yes. Uh, And, yeah, it's got lots of different... It's got an insight into what we do. So you've got, you know, the day begins, uh, the Mm -hmm. nitty-gritty, speaking back to power, and just just some, yeah, really cool quotes and references to kind of what goes on here Mm. before 8 (laughs) o'clock. (laughs) <laughs> so if you want a little bit more of an insight into how 3CR works and the beautiful people involved, um, definitely like shimmy on down to the station and pick yourself up one. Uh, mm. They're very flash. Um, they've got the Radical Radio kind of graphics going on. And talking about the Radical Radio graphics, they're also the same ones used in this year's Radiothon. So yeah. this year's Radiothon running from the 3rd to yes. the 16th of June, which is... <gasps> Next week. But what's a radiothon? But what is a radiothon, Will? Good point. I hadn't <laughs> highlighted that. Would you like to go for it? Yes, absolutely. So, um, as you folks listening at home may know, um, we're definitely not professionals. 100% not. <laughs> um, and we're not a professional media outfit. What we are is a community media outfit. We are people from the community 
who come in and volunteer our time to um, create an alternative to the mainstream media mm. and to their really awful, you know, cash cow in the morning dancing around kind of morning shows. We've got alternative music shows, alternative talk shows. Um, everything we do is alternative um, because it actually sort of attends to the needs of the community for once. Mm. And uh, part of that is that we can't take um, corporate sponsorship. We can't take money from, you know, the the organisations that we expose in, um, in things like Earth Matters and mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of government departments that yeah. do bad things to the community and that we expose in things like shows like City Limits. Mm-hmm. And so um, so because of that, we can't take money from a lot of sources. We can only ask for money from our listeners, which is you. Um, <laughs> and so, so that's what Radiothon is. It's just a big funding drive to ask the community um, who aren't... Oh, well, actually, no, a lot of the money comes from the people who volunteer at 3CR. I know that I'm going to be giving some money. Yeah. Um, but also from our friends and our family and from people who aren't directly involved in 3CR but who appreciate the work that we do. Yeah, And definitely. so that's that's what the funding is for. None of it goes to you, Idwin, does it? No, unfortunately, no. though I do need a stable income, it doesn't go to me. Um, oh. It literally goes to fixing the roof on top of our building. That's so true. So it's, it's... It goes it's to the microphones. Microphones, to, equipment, um, all that sort of making stuff. Making the station more accessible, to making the station warmer in winter and colder in summer, mm. and all of those things, um, and making sure that the, the signal keeps going out to that tower and keeps getting <laughs> spread all around um, so so-called hear. Australia. So Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, just just a brief run, then. It will be next week, so you'll be hearing some special shows. Mm. Not just our show will be special, but some special shows. Mm. Uh, for our show, we are doing kind of... We, we kind of want to look into what you're interested in. I mean, this is a community radio yeah. organisation, so... Yeah. Will and I are going to ramp up a few favourites and kind of just get them to come in and talk yeah. about cool stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, if you are interested in subscribing or donating, uh, donations can be done either showing up at the, at the station itself, yep. uh, on the phone, yep. if we can find our phone number quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the phone number is 94198377. That's mm-hmm. um, between 9 o'clock in the morning and 5 p.m. in the afternoon. You can give that phone number a call and someone will answer to take your donation pledge yep 94198377 also you can just come into the studio mm. to our address and say hello i appreciate community <laughs> radio can i give you some money and our address is uh 21 smith street fitzroy so That's like right. get yourself a nice cup of coffee feel free <laughs> to <laughs> pop in and finally also uh oh we don't sell coffee there's coffee no, nearby we don't sell, but there's coffee. walk on down yeah. with a cup of coffee in your hand and mm. change in the other hand and classic fitzroy yeah. Classic Fitzroy. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And if you listen to this and you're like, wow, I would like to subscribe to this station. This mm. sounds awesome. Um, there is also subscriptions available, and they're $35 for concessions, $75 for full, and $150 for organization, band, or solidarity kind of subscriptions. Mm. Yeah. Um, and all of those are really cool because, as, as we said, you get things like the cool 3CR Cram Radio kind of magazine that's come out at the mm-hmm. moment. Yep. But anyway, that's about and all of us. a warm, our... fuzzy feeling in your gut. <laughs> you get that too. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that's kind of all for our, our little bit of um, what's happening around the station. Our show oh. looks pretty great today. We have a guest um, waiting outside. Oh. So what I might do is I'll play some community service announcements and uh, let them in. How about that? Excellent. We'll be right back. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. <laughs> Hey, this is Nick Rimpignaro. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. 
Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. This is our country. We've never forgotten where we've come from. For who we are. We keep our culture strong. Now it's time to come together. Talk as equals. And write our own future. This is our country. And this is our time. Treaty is time. And roll now for the First People's Assembly of Victoria election. Authorised by the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission, Melbourne. And you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, it's time for our first interview. The time right now is 7.12, and uh, let's get straight into it. Um, we're talking about the North East Link. Uh, the North East Link is a major road-building project currently in development by the state government with a projected cost of about $16 billion, uh, and the planned route has um, a sort of north-south axis from Greensboro in Melbourne's, Melbourne's northeast to the Eastern Freeway in Baldwin North area. And the flashy Northeast Link website touts the project as finally connecting Melbourne's freeways loop. Um, but to tell us why this is something that you might want to resist, uh, we have Rachel Linsky, Sustainable Cities Coordinator at Friends of the Earth Melbourne, in the studio. Welcome to the studio. Thanks, Will. And uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, so, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about um, the, the proposed Northeast Link and um, sort of Friends of the Earth's take on what its impact can be? Um, there are a couple of different things, so maybe we can start with the environmental impact. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge project and a kind of continuation of the Andrews government's continuous road building. That said, they are also building some big public transport, and yeah, we think that yeah. that really needs priority over building bigger and bigger freeways through our city mm. because really the impact of North East Link isn't just the connection from north to south. Uh, it is widening of the Eastern Freeway at parts up to 24 lanes mm. across there. We're just wow. turning into an LA-style you know, freeway yeah. system, and the risk always is that you build a bigger road, it fills up with more cars, and then you need to build it, mm. make it wider again yeah. and again. So it doesn't actually deal with the cause of um, traffic and congestion and why you might be building that road. What we know is that tackling congestion and getting people out of their cars is the best option for that, and that means building other options, making sure that they can access public transport, be that local buses, trains that come every 10 minutes or, uh, you know, local um, options to ride or walk their uh, walk or ride their bikes yeah. um, to local destinations like schools and shops. Mm. All these things go a long way in reducing our car dependency and creating the sustainable cities that we want to see um, for Melbourne in the future. In terms of the impacts, uh, we're only just kind of getting a bit of an understanding of what they are. The project is currently undergoing its environmental effects statement process, which is where the proponent, proponent, so the person who wants to build this road, does a lot of detailed investigations about what all those impacts are. And that's open for public submission at the moment, public comment. Uh, it's many tens of thousands of pages long, so yeah. it's quite a um, big project, especially given that you know many community members are just local residents going about their days you know, busy with jobs and family and um, all of their life. And it's a pretty daunting thing to come up against. So we have been helping out with um, kind of understanding what some of these impacts might be. Mm. 
And we know in terms of environmental impacts that there'll be a huge amount of um, tree loss. Uh, it tunnels underneath the Yarra River and so effects to the groundwater and um, that you know, iconic Melbourne mm. river system. We don't know what those impacts are, but we know that drilling underneath them probably isn't a great idea. The um, the loss along the Eastern Freeway Corridor, um, along the Kuyong Creek and um, other creek systems there, um, a lot of those will be paved over to make way for these extra lanes. So mm. you'll end up with a creek essentially looking like a kind of drain system as opposed to a natural kind of creek that you would... You yeah, know, so you've raised a, raised a lot of issues there. There's going to be impact to sort of local local trees. Um, there's going to be an impact on the, the river system nearby. Um, and also local amenity, it sounds like we've got huge chunks of asphalt between our houses now mm. as opposed to just an easily crossable road. Yeah. Um, but there are there are a lot of goodies that are tied to the northeast link. We've got um, suggestions of uh, many tens of kilometres more of bike lanes that we're going to have, uh, also an express busway along the eastern freeway, which sounds great because public transport is really the, the direction we need to be moving in. Uh, do, do these do much to sort of calm, calm your fears around the northeast link? We can build bus lanes and bike lanes without having to build a $16 billion toll road. The bus lanes are um, the only option for many people to um, catch public transport into the CBD, but the real problems are when it hits Hoddle Street and comes right into the CBD, and the North East Link doesn't address any of those concerns about um, reducing traffic in the inner city suburbs. The project also um, will... Um, as I said, the widening of the Eastern Freeway will pave over parts of um, the median there that for many decades has been held as a rail reservation, the concept being that a uh, train connection between the CBD and Doncaster, known as Doncaster Rail, right, um, yeah. has long been you know, an aspiration and kind of on the maps yeah. but never um, resulted in construction. And now with the North East Link project, we will see that rail reservation paved over to make way for more car lanes um, just so that they can um, feed more cars into our inner city. Right, yeah. So, so not only are we yeah. you know, building mm. car-dependent transport, we're also locking out future public transport options, which we think is a huge risk to the future of Melbourne. So um, so the North East Link will be pushing people onto the Eastern Freeway, but they're taking people off local roads. Um, and so there's, there's in, some like areas, in some areas. In some areas, yeah, okay. there, was, there is a reduction, mm. but in other local roads you will see an increase in traffic, particularly okay. um, feeding into the Eastern Freeway um, from the south side, as you said, the Borwin North and Bullied and mm. along there. Um, the traffic projections are that those roads will see increases in traffic um, in the volumes of thousands. So mm. while it does shift some traffic, um, it doesn't ultimately um, address it at its, and kind of prevent sure. it from occurring. This will sound like a bit of a gimme question, but like, is creating more amenity for drivers a fundamental wrong in this case because it seems to encourage people to drive? I think at this time in history when we're looking at what is the future of Melbourne going to be, but also what is our state's responsibility to tackling things like climate change, and we do have a state government that's very committed to um, moving us towards zero emissions, and so building projects that will lock in cars on our roads, the pollution that comes from that, the greenhouse gases. Transport is the second biggest sector that is contributing to climate change and Victoria's um, emissions. So at a time when we need to be making choices and you know deciding for the future, what are we locking in? And at the moment, building a 
um, mega road through Melbourne City um, seems like the wrong path to us. We would love to see greater investment and priority to achieve some of the great public transport projects that are out there. If that's Doncaster Rail or the state government's suburban rail loop promise, um, we want to see the priority of money going towards planning and building these projects. Sure. So um, earlier we were talking about uh, the environmental impact process that's happening right now and that it's taking submissions. Is that part of what Friends of the Earth Melbourne is trying to push people towards? Yeah. So at the moment there is this process where the government is seeking, sorry, community input and submissions. The... This is one way you can voice your concern about this project. We have developed a bit of a template and tip sheet because it is a pretty overwhelming process. Mm. You can head along to um, the Melbourne um, Friends of the Earth.org.au website mm-hmm. and see um, on the Sustainable Cities section some tips and um, guide, guidelines along there. But we also know that that's just one way that you can show your concern about this project. And... Um, going through a submission process is, you know, fairly um, bureaucratic and, um, you know... It's almost purposely impenetrable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they do make it kind of tricky. um, And so we know we can actually go straight to our decision makers. Mm. We've been doing a bunch of actions, um, folks over the Eastern Freeway with banner drops and, um, you know, meetings and community um, events. Mm. We've got a action kicking off tomorrow where we'll be directly contacting the minister to let, um, let the... Minister for Transport know that we want a priority for public transport, not for more tollways. And over the coming months, we will be continuing to hold actions, working with locals, demonstrating what the transport, you know, potential for public transport um, in the future is for this part of Melbourne, but for also all of Melbourne. Absolutely. So if people want to find out more about, in particular, that um, that action tomorrow, but also more generally about the campaign against the North East Link that Friends of the Earth is championing, um, how can they find out more? If you head along to our Sustainable Cities Facebook page, then we keep that updated with all the news, actions and events that are coming up. Mm-hmm. So people are just searching Sustainable Cities in Facebook. Yes. Um, also, can, can people go to Friends of the Earth in uh, Smith Street? Um, yeah. If a lot of our listeners may not have access to the internet, is that mm-hmm. a great place to, to head to as well? Absolutely. Yep. We have regular meetups on Monday evenings, 6pm mm-hmm. at Friends of the Earth. That's 312 Smith Street in Collingwood. Fantastic. Uh, I've been speaking to Rachel Linsky, who is the Sustainable Cities Coordinator at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. We were talking about the North East Link and uh, the impacts that it can have on the community. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for coming in this morning. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. We'll be right back. Party with the Boite in its celebration of 40 years of world music. 3pm, Saturday, June the 1st. Abbotsford Convent, 1 St. Helier Street. Go to boite.com.au, that's B-O-I-T-E dot com dot A-U, or call 9417-1983. Celebrate 40 years of fabulous music making in Melbourne with the sounds of music from across the globe. Join the Boite on June the 1st. 3pm at Abbotsford Condon. The Boite is a 3CR supporter. Attention 
Book Lovers, the new international bookshop is hosting our annual Big Red Book Fair. Come down to the Trades Hall in Carlton on Saturday the 29th of June from 10am to 5pm. As always, the book fair features thousands of books across all genres, all radically priced. There's also a barbecue and a showcase of radical posters. In order to make this fundraiser a success, we are calling for book donations now. So if you have books that need a new home, please get in contact via the website at nibs.org.au or on 9662-3744. That's 9662-3744. The New International Bookshop, a 3CR supporter. Paul Kelly here. Hi, this is Shane Howard here, asking you to support 3CR. Independent radio station, encouraging independent music and independent thought. They've been supporting musicians for more than 30 years, so let's support them. In 2019, 3CR has the power. Add your support during the annual Radiothon to Power Radical Radio. Radiothon starts 3rd of June. To donate, call 03941983377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2019. Power Radical Radio. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Santa Concha, what the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog, mate. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and support our 3CR community, come to our fundraiser, Saturday 8 of June at Moreland City Band Room, 16 Cross Street, East Brunswick, at 6 p.m. Come and check your culo with DJ Twin and DJ Otorongo and live music by Abe Danovitz, Little Chili and their mates. Limpiese la boquita que le quedó paltita. And you are listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. The time right now is 7.26 and... Shall we start the show again, Ivan? I definitely think so. Um. Yeah, because um, it was really great having Rachel in just now, but we totally forgot to actually do all of the things we do at the beginning of the show. Mm. For example, uh, thank uh, Earth Matters, which is the show that's on just before us for a great half hour of environmental news and also that song about carbon tax. Oh, the song about carbon tax. If you didn't hear it, definitely <laughs> tune in. It was, a, it was a country little tune, but like... It was great. It was great. I loved it. We had um, a lot of fun this morning. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and also, we didn't let anyone know what's coming up in the show. So, absolutely. obviously, we just spoke to Rachel Linsky, who is the Sustainable Cities Coordinator at Friends of the Earth Melbourne, mm-hmm. and was telling us about Friends of the Earth's position on the Northeast Link and the, this massive construction project that's going to be taking place um, goodbye trees, hello tarmac, um, yeah. and so that's that's what that is. Um, Sixteen billion dollars worth of it, um, and then uh, just in a moment we're going to be hearing um, a bit about 
a pro a little old protest that happened um just the other day but we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment because mm-hmm. um I'll let you know that at 7:45 we're getting an update from Greg Rolls who is the anti Adani pro- protester that we heard from last week um Greg Rolls represented himself in Bowen court um on charges associated with an action that he took against uh, Adani's mine it was blocking a railway operated by Horizon that leads to um, Abbott Point, mm-hmm. um, which is owned, again, by Adani to export coal over the Great Barrier Reef to the rest of the world. Um, and so we'll hear how um, Greg's defence went. And then at 8 o'clock, we're speaking to April Watson, who is a Barapa Barapa Wemba Wemba and Yorta Yorta woman um, and is also the daughter of um, Auntie Tanya Day, um, who lost her life um, as a result of um, police violence um, and also as a result of the uh, anti-drunkenness uh, laws that, that, that exist in, in the state of Victoria. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about the, um, the recent push to decriminalise um, uh, or to, to do away with this, um, what is essentially a highly discriminatory law. We're going to talk about why it's discriminatory when April's on the phone and also about an event that April will be speaking at next week. Um, so that'll be that'll be something to look forward to. That's at eight o'clock. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, coming up, we've got coverage of the snap action that happened last week. Now, uh, last week following the election, a snap uh, action was called by Extinction Rebellion uh, on the Friday. So that was the twenty fifth, I believe. No, that doesn't sound right at all. Anyway, the point is, it was called, and basically the idea was just a big protest against kind of um, the Liberal government's kind of climate policy and the fact that we do need climate change action now. Uh, So, yeah, the protest kind of looked at um, trying to push the Australian state to declare a climate emergency, seeing as we only have 11 years left, as people keep reminding us. According to the IPCC, that's the amount of time we have left to make significant change Mm -hmm. in um, lowering our carbon footprint before we start to get irreparable sort of climate damage. Yeah. Yeah. Before our world view has just completely significantly changed. Mm. Um, that was not the only action that did happen that day. There was also a youth strike uh, kind of climate protest as well as a um, march later the day that was kind of in recognition of refugee rights and protesting offshore detention. Mm. Anywho, we uh, were there at the Extinction Rebellion uh, protest. So next up is kind of like a little bit of a vox pop, just getting a few people's opinions on why they were there on the day. Why are you here today? We wanted to stand up for those who couldn't vote and who couldn't speak for this election. A lot of the girls at our school and in our year level wanted to vote but weren't able to because they weren't 18. And we wanted to show them that we are here to speak our truth and what we want in the future because the future is ours and people in Parliament are not listening. We want a future and we believe there's a chance that we might not have one and we really just want to let everyone know that we can fight this and we can fight for a future that we deserve and that we need to have. Fantastic. And you're in school uniform here. Have you taken the day off school? The afternoon, yeah. 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 And what do you think the importance is of people taking strikes? I mean, the polys say that we should, we should get back to our books. We shouldn't be skipping school. What do you think to say to that? Yeah, they, yeah screw them, first of all. They won't listen to us, so if the educated are skipping school to come and tell them, then that's what's happening. The uneducated know what's happening as well, so skipping school or not doesn't matter to us. We need to show them that we are here. 
Fantastic. And do you have a favourite catch cry from today's rally? Go Rosa Wanker! <laughs> I'm here today to um, prove a point, spread a message, because I have a voice to make change, and we all do. I think the election result was really disappointing for everyone, well, for most people at part, and I think Australia is just so behind in every sort of climate action there is possible and is becoming pretty much like a third world country in that sort of sense. I think as a democracy we need to be more forward and listen to the people, and yeah, that's kind of just fine. Absolutely, and of course you mentioned the uh, election on Saturday. Where, where do you think we kind of go from here? Um, I think it's scary because you get the sense that you're not the um, dominant kind of uh, thinking and political view. So, like, I, I'm, people are getting that sense of maybe being the underdogs are resorting to a sense of, like, like intensity like real like action and like even being here today like um it's not just it is peaceful but like it's pretty you know full-on slight i felt aggressive i felt angry i wanted to break something you know because it's yeah i suppose just coming out of the rally uh what do you what do you think we need to say to our world leaders what do you think what was your favorite catch cry from today what do you think is the main message that needs to get out there um well the dominant one was what do we want climate action when do we want it now and that was just a really simple way of saying what we need is to change it right now the ac it is the answer is clear we're clearly all afraid of what might happen if we don't take action right now at this point and i think the turnout today considering this was a very last-minute rally, shows that there are enough people here that really care and want to make change, and we're going to keep fighting and keep using our voices until we're heard, I guess. Yeah. I am here because it's gotten way out of hand. We need to look after our Mother Earth. This is the only home that we've got, and I'm here because I'm a young person, um, and I care. Mm. And I think that we all need to band together like the community we once were and fight for her because she's at home. Absolutely. And, and you talk about like the community we once were. What, what do you reference and what do you think we should get to? Yeah, I guess I'm going way, way back. Um, you know, I think we can learn a lot from our Indigenous people. We can learn a lot from when we were tribes. We can learn a lot from when we were living off this land and taking what we needed. So I think we need to band together because we're all the same species. We're all the same thing, you know, and it's beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than a bunch of people fighting for Mother Nature. I think that's, that's connection. Following the election, I think it's so important that we as a nation and people, especially young people, show that we aren't going to like sit by the new government's policies any longer because we know that we need to be zero emission by 2025. We know that we have 11 years to declare and fix the climate emergency that's happening at the moment. So first step to that is for the government to declare a climate emergency and we know that Extinction Rebellion and these kind of protests have been successful in London where the movement started and if we can gather enough people Australia hopefully too will declare a climate emergency and take that first step into actually implementing any sort of change that's basically going to save us. <laughs> so why did you come to the protest today? Uh, because I believe that climate change is a real threat and I fear not only for myself but my children. 
the government isn't doing anything and the planet's on fire and we're running out of water. Um, I'm here at the rally today because I'm very disappointed with the government that came into power on Saturday and um, more so here for the future generation to try and get them a better and safer Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. No, thank you. Is there any message you'd like projected, I suppose, out there? Uh, there's been words like demand action now. What do you think about this? Ours is declare climate emergency, most definitely. Hopefully this causes more of a conversation more than the action that might be coming second, just to get the word out there more so. It's sad that it still has to be talked about more so than the action, but yeah, just more of a conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. That's okay. No worries. So um, why did you guys attend the rally today? Uh, I think it's pretty close to the point of no return for action to be taken. So for me it's important. There's nothing really going on with, with the government. I think also too, it's not necessarily the government, but it's also just understanding the greater population, seeing that something needs to change. So, yeah. Who do you think kind of this is up to? Everybody? Anybody? Calling out the big players? Well, who do you think? Yeah, probably more so the big players. I think, like, people, like, you know, they all try and say that the individual matters, which we do. But, like, I think the big companies need to start owning up to stuff and taking action. Absolutely. And I suppose with the climate crisis, is there anything you'd want to get the point across? I mean, any favourite catch cry from today? <laughs> I guess I just, just, like... It's really simple, but like, demand, like the demand and like the now, both like they, I think we hear them so much that like they kind of lose a bit of resonance. But like it is really urgent, and we do need to use like really strong words like demand and now to really capture just how, like, how omnipresent this issue is going to become if there's if nothing starts to happen. I'm here because I believe that we should stop allowing all of our species to die because of human greed and human wants. I also believe that we are definitely um, in danger because of this. I went through a natural disaster myself and I think that I've seen the horrors that a natural disaster, which is especially caused by climate change, can, can do. And that's just going to increase as as our temperatures rise, as we stop, like, we keep deforestation and we keep ignoring what our planet wants. Absolutely, and of course your post is a Douglas Adams kind of reference. Could you kind of break it down for us? Uh, it was, um, I heard what uh, Greta Thunberg was saying about panicking and I believe that what she was saying was so right and so true that we do need to panic and when you are in a situation that is... Um, like that everything is going wrong around you, panic is necessary so that you can start thinking about what, where you're going to head next. So my sign is in support of Greta. Wonderful. And can you read out your sign just for all the listeners? Because we can't yeah. see it. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Climate Catastrophe. Panic. And there were some snapshots from the climate uh, snap action that happened last Friday. You're listening to 3CR. We are up to 7.39, 7.40, really. Like, let's not lie to ourselves. <laughs> We're heading off into our next kind of little segment. Um, but we might just... Play a song. Play a song. Uh, who are next we up is I've Lied by Archie Roach.
And you are listening to Wednesday Breakfast. The time right now is coming up to 7.45, and it's time for our next interview. Last week we spoke to Christian anti-Adani activist Greg Rolls, who was facing Bowen Court uh, for charges relating to a protest action he took in last November. Uh, Greg, are you on the phone? Yeah, good morning, Will. Wonderful, good morning. Uh, so when we spoke to you last, uh, you'd presented evidence um, in, in your own defence uh, saying that you took this action as part of a necessary climate defence in, in a form of self-defence against um, what Adani was doing um, and planning to do to, to our environment um, and the negative impacts that would have on you personally. Uh, you presented your, your case and the verdict was handed down yesterday. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how, how that went down yesterday? Uh, well, yesterday was a bit of a harsh day, but it wasn't completely unexpected by me. The uh, magistrate found me guilty and found that uh, the court couldn't rule on global warming as an extraordinary emergency. Uh, one of the decisions, one, one of the lines in the finding was, in fact, that uh, the idea that someone had to take uh, direct action to act in the face of climate change uh, was absurdity beyond belief. So uh, the magistrate fined me $7,000 and awarded me uh, $2,500 restitution against me for uh, a rise in the rail line, which carries the Danish coal. And that's, uh, that's, that's pretty shocking, especially that the court seems to have taken a position because no position on climate change is definitely a position at this point. Uh, is, is that how you read, how you read the, um, the verdict? That's absolutely how I read the verdict. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it seems the court has found, um, uh, that we're in some kind of vacuum and that global warming doesn't, uh, doesn't affect the way people act. So. Um, it's, it's a pretty shocking decision, but again, not really, not really unexpected. Um, I was feeling like something like this might happen, and uh, yeah, now we'll just uh, consult some legal advice and see how we go. Mm. Is there a, is there an appeals process? Is that something that you're able to talk about? Uh, yeah, I, I can't really. Um, it's, it's a bit early to say. I've already, I spoke to a lawyer yesterday who's, who's looking at it for me today. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, we, um, there's a 28 day window to launch an appeal, and uh, you know, we're, we're seriously looking into it. That's all I know. Mm. Now, last week we did talk only a little bit about uh, your your belief of um, the necessity of actions such as the one that you took um, late last year. Can we go a bit further into that? Um, do you, do you believe that there there is a case for breaking the law? I, I know that you obviously um, sort of took took um, this action, recognizing that there would be legal consequences. But the um, the defence that you gave. Um, two Fridays ago was not guilty and that's a, that sort of has some sort of um, implication around um, the, the, your, your belief that your action was l- lawful. Uh, so where do, you, where do you stand on that now in the light of this verdict? Uh, yeah, I think that um, governments and big corporations have known about global warming for you know, 30 or 40 years at least and uh, you know, they've failed to act. And I think the only thing that's going to save us and this, you know, generation coming up and the next generation is a, a large-scale non-violent direct movement from from the people. Uh, otherwise, our home's under threat. So I think that when you're talking about the safety of your own home and your own environment and governments have failed to protect you or failed to do their job, um, I, I think breaking the law peacefully, non-violently, is the only way to act and the only way to affect positive change. And we need to be doing that now. Um, it does, you know, it's, I think it's something that just about anyone can do. 
whatever the circumstances, we just have to prioritise protecting our home now. And I think that's the only avenue left to us open by governments. We've got 10 years, really, to be, to be getting off fossil fuels. And that sounds like a long time, but when you think about um, how much fossil fuels influence our society, that's really not long at all to be. That's 10 years to transition to zero, I believe. And uh, we, need to be, uh, we need to be doing that now. And the only way that's going to happen is with large-scale nonviolent civil disobedience, shutting down business as usual, and that is going to involve um, uh, a price for the general population. But not acting, not taking that kind of, um, uh, not taking that kind of action is going to involve a much higher price that, uh, that, that our kids are going to have to pay for. So it sounds like you aren't deterred by the verdict that was handed down yesterday. Um, $7,000 plus another, what was it? $2,500 on top of that? Yeah, in restitution, which uh, is damages for a rise in a multi-billion dollar rail company. Yeah, so they're, they're clearly hurting for money. So this, this, doesn't, this doesn't deter you at all. You're, do, you, do you plan on further actions similar to, to the one that you took last year? Um, I, I, again, this, this story isn't actually about me or about my court case. The story is no. about children dying in Bangladesh right now from dengue fever who shouldn't be. It's about mass starvation of human populations. It's about the death of ecosystems um, that, you know, as a Christian, I believe we should be caring for. So in, uh, the whole point of life is um, to care for those who are most vulnerable so that you can be cared for. And uh, we're, we're not doing that. We're failing in that. So, um, no, I, I think that we, we, that you know, the position of all people of faith and all people of care now should be to prioritise caring for creation, caring for earth, and um, and doing it the best we can to... Um, work together now, peacefully, non-violently. Um, it's the best way forward to protect um, our home and w- what we've got left of it. Okay, now, Greg, can I ask you about uh, the way that this news was received by people around you? Last week we heard that there definitely were um, people in the the local area who weren't huge supporters of yours, but otherwise you did have an environmentalist community and people who were taking direct actions themselves um, in, in the face of the Adani Mine Project. Uh, can can we talk about the reaction of um, both of those camps? How what have you heard since since yesterday? I know it's only been a short time. Uh, well, my my the the activist community around me is uh, obviously pretty shocked. Um, I think I was the the least. Um, uh, my friends were really angry and annoyed, um, but I think um, I was the least. I don't know. I was very feeling very nervous and agitated before I went in, and then as soon as I started understanding what was happening, I just became very peaceful and calm. I'm not really sure why. Um, but my friends were quite shocked and quite angry um, at the at the situation. I think that the locals of Bowen, um, the ones who are vocal about it, there are supporters, but most of them would be would be happy. There there is so much propaganda up here. This is a thing post election that people in Melbourne and people in you know who care about these things need to need to be aware of. The propaganda is so high it almost says to to our people, you know, if you don't support the Dani mine, your kids are going to starve to death because of the lack of jobs. And we need to be pointing out things constantly like the, 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 the roughly $4 billion a year that the coal and gas industry gets subsidised by the taxpayer. So, you know, making arguments like taking some of that and, and um, redirecting that into jobs in central Queensland or areas that are hit hard by this capitalist system uh, is, is the best way to talk about it. So um, the propaganda is really high. So people might in Bowen might be pretty happy that I've got this fine and, you know, might, might be making an angry Facebook post that I should go to jail. Um, the magistrate, in fact, uh, hinted that if he that if he could send me to jail, he would. But there was no jail time um, for any of these for any of the charges that I faced. Um, so I think a lot of people would be angry that I didn't get a jail. But again, uh, the propaganda is so high up here and so harsh by by the, the Murdoch press that 
I understand actually a little bit where they're coming from. People are some people feel a bit poor and a bit scared because the, the media is making them scared, and it's up to us to provide a different alternative, a, a, an alternative story. Uh, and I think we can do that with a little bit of imagination, whilst at the same time using what we have to um, get in the way of the system, which is killing us. And that's what we all need to be doing now. We need to be making that a priority. We need to be connecting with local groups, uh, you know, wherever we are in Melbourne or anywhere else around Australia, and we need to be sitting down uh, in the way of business as usual until, until we can make a change that's positive for all of us. Now, of course, people are welcome to um, to take action independently, and so they they don't necessarily need direction. But uh, Greg, if you were to uh, point people in a certain direction so to to empower them to make change in the face of the climate emergency, what would be really the first few things you would tell them to do? Um, I, I, again, I just consider this is the home of you and your children, so you need to. Um, think about, you know, I know people are busy and there's a lot of things happening in life that people get caught up in, but I think protecting our home and the home of our children should be the first priority as it's under threat. Um, so I think consider that as a priority. Then I think um, there's some great groups doing um, fantastic work around Melbourne and around Australia. Uh, I mean, what Extinction Rebellion is doing in Melbourne is, is fantastic and amazing. The other thing I'd say is that, um, you know, there's, no, there's going to be no climate justice without looking at First Nations justice. So uh, uh, I did my act on the lands of Jewry people and I, I was lucky enough to meet an, an elder um, who wrote me a sentencing statement, which is a, you know, a, a letter in support of who I am and what I did. And she was very moved by connecting and talking to these people is really important. Um, so there are a lot of great groups. There's Extinction Rebellion. I believe there's a group called Fun Action on Coal. Um, lots of fantastic groups that are... Um, training and getting in the way of business as usual, and, and it doesn't take much Googling. But if you're in Melbourne, I, I highly suggest connecting with Extinction Rebellion. It looks like it's doing some amazing things. So you're endorsing Extinction Rebellion, and you also mentioned Frontline Action on Coal. Uh, I've been speaking to Greg Rolls, who is a uh, Christian anti-Adani activist and um, has just been found uh, guilty yesterday and charged uh, quite a substantial fine. Um, Greg, thank you so much for coming on and telling us um, telling us your story. Uh, best of luck with the future. Thanks, Will. I'll just also uh, plug um, Christians for Climate Action Australia's Facebook page and Australian Religious Response to Climate Change. If you're a person of faith or a person who cares deeply, they're two other groups. Fantastic. Thanks, uh, we'll thanks, put those Will. up on our on our rundown on the website 3cr.org.au. Thank you so much for coming on, Greg. Thanks, Will. Have a great day. You too. Uh, you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. We're going to play some community announcements. We'll be right back. Did you know volunteering contributes to a happier life? Want to know what you can do to make a difference in your local community of Whittlesea? Whittlesea Community Connections hold a volunteer information session every month. It is a friendly session where you get to meet others and be linked to not-for-profit organisations. Contact Michelle from Whittlesea Community Connections on 94016630 or visit our website www.whittlesecc.org.au to find out more. A 3CR supporter. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month. Or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR, funded by the City of Yarra.
this is Pressure MC from the Hilltop Hoods. Hey, what's up? This is Safa from the Hilltop Hoods. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on your dial. Support community radio and subscribe now. <laughs> We appreciate like you mob and all the people coming and visit us and doing stuff like this, you know, it's very good. It yeah. keeps a positive mindset in our mind, you know, and we really appreciate it. Because of where we can, yeah. I wanna be a better, better man, yeah. Because of where we can Beyond the Bars is three CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. You can listen to audio from this year and previous years online anytime. How do you rehabilitate someone? They just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're going to do and it's meant to rehabilitate you, you know? Rehabilitation starts when you get out. That's when your life begins again, doesn't it? In here, your life's on hold. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Or if you'd like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. When I first come to this jail, it was about 10 years ago, and I was a young one. A whole heap of young ones come off the truck there the other day, and they called me Auntie Marlene, so it helped me recognise and realise it, like, pull myself up like, yeah. They're starting to look up to me, so I've got to represent and do the right thing now. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. And you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. The time is just after 8am. Um, and it's time for our next interview. Uh, we're speaking to April Watson, who is a Yorta Yorta, Wemba Wemba and Barapa Barapa woman um, and is also daughter of Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta grandmother who died in custody in 2017. Uh, we have April on the line right now to um, talk to us about the recent push um, to decriminalise public drunkenness, which is uh, an offence here in the state of Victoria. April, you're on the line? Yep. Hi, Hi. thanks for joining us on Wednesday Breakfast. No, thank you for having me. Especially when um, school pickup is a uh, school drop off is quite so soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I f- invited you on the show firstly to talk about public drunkenness, but also to talk about uh, the panel at the Wheeler Centre that's going to be happening soon. So we'll get onto that definitely to remind listeners about, of that one. But first of all, can can I ask um, how you first got involved in the push to end public drunkenness? Um, well, the push really happened after Mum had passed away. So back in December 2017, Mum was travelling on a train from Echuca to Melbourne when she had fallen asleep. Um, the B-line conductor had deemed her unruly and called the police. Mum was then waken up and taken off the train. The police took her to Castlemaine train station. So she was arrested for public drunkenness. Um, in that time frame when she was placed in the police cell, you know, they didn't fail, they failed to monitor effectively and mum hit her head multiple times, which resulted in a traumatic head injury. So when mum left that police station, she was unconscious. Um, and then she had died 17 days later at St. Vincent Hospital. So, um, you know, public drunkenness is a major issue for our mob. And obviously that is a main factor of why mum was arrested and 
why she has passed away. So as a family, we just really wanted to push forward and make sure that we could you know, get some change and make sure that mum's death wasn't in vain. So our push is one of that is to really get this law decriminalised. Mm. Now, of course, uh, you have a personal connection to um, to abolishing public, public drunkenness as an offence, but there's also a, a recognition that the law itself is racist. Um, how does that? How how do you come to that position? Oh, well, you know, for us, mob, it's very evident that it's used um, to target our mob, and it's a systemic racism issue. It's, it's huge. It's been bred within the system um, that this is something that is used to target against Aboriginal people. You know, back um, nearly 30 years ago in the Royal Commission, this law, um, it was in the Royal Commission that it to be abolished and it still hasn't been done yet. Back then, it had actually claimed the life of one of our other family members and then 30 years on, it's now claimed the life of our mother. And it's been recommended over and over again, even back in 2001, that it should be abolished and the government is just failing to implement that and it's continually putting our people at risk. How do you understand the impasse? You did say that 30 years ago the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody recommended that public drunkenness be decriminalised. Why has, do you believe, the state government and also the federal government taken no action on this front? Well, you know, it's... Uh, whether they're nervous to take that step, whether, you know, they've getting pushed back from the Victorian police, you know, th- this is something that the police use to be able to put our people in a cell. So, you know, you start to take away those tools that are able to target our people. What what have you got left? Mm. So to, to us, you know, it's, it's clear that this law needs to be abolished. You know, abolishing this law isn't going to make our streets more dangerous, it's actually going to make them safer for everyone, especially the people who it's affecting the most, and that's Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people. And it's like the government just don't want to make that step, you know, whether they don't want to rock the boat, whether they don't want to, you know, take that that part of the system out from the police. I don't know, but we know that we're going to keep pushing until we get what our people and our mum deserves, and that's that law abolished. Mm. Now, this might um, be a question that's a bit outside your scope, but this law only really exists here in Victoria and also in Queensland. And of course, there are there are rules on on drinking that are imposed by the um, the colonial government in um, in um, remote communities in the Northern Territory as well. Um, how does this reflect on settlers in these states? Well, like we've just kept saying time and time again, you know, like you, you see the other states that have abolished this law, there's not, there's still people dying in custody, but they're not dying from that. Um, when it comes to Victoria, they are failing to do that, and the, the number's increasing of the people that's dying in custody. Um, you know, like, I'm not an expert on, you know, decriminalising the law and um, everything around that was put into the Royal Commission. I just know that Victoria is a major state that's failing our people. And, you know, we're not asking to just decriminalise the law and leave it. We're asking to put a health alternative in place that's going to keep our people safe. And Mm. we're also hoping that, you know, when they do decriminalise this law, they're not putting another one in place that is still able to target Aboriginal people Mm. that are intoxicated or 
you know, anything that comes under that. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, a little earlier before before the interview started, um, I wanted to ask you about the um, the inquest that's going into um, the death in custody of of your mother, Auntie Tanya Day, and um, the 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 attempts by um, by your family to have the inquest consider as um, as pertinent to the case systemic racism. Um, has this been done before, systemic racism being acknowledged in the proceedings of, of an inquest into someone's death, a coronial inquest? No, it hasn't, so it's huge. It is it is so big for Mum's case, but it's so big for other cases and really setting the bar for acknowledging what's actually going on. So, you know, uh, there's a couple of other cases that's included racism, you know, whether it be within the hospital setting or... Um, sort of touch on a little bit, but actually having systemic racism included in a scope that has played a part in someone's death that hasn't actually happened in in the nation. Mm. And of course, um, a, a ruling hasn't been made on that front and has been um, postponed, I believe, to to either July or August. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're we're really disappointed. You know, it's it's been extremely, you know draining to have to wait this long to get to the end of the process and then be told to wait, you know, until the end of the month. So it was meant to be this Tuesday just gone. Um, Unfortunately, um, the coroner has said it will be the end of June, but a July sort of time frame. Um, And that's just, you know, the severity of what's happened and how much of a big decision it is. I guess she just wants to take that extra time to be able to have a look at all the information and make mm. the right ruling. Now, um, of course, the um, Aboriginal deaths in custody in general, but in particular your mother's death um, in custody, all happen in the context of our so-called justice system. Um, what hope do you have of achieving real justice within this system? It, you know, obviously we want justice for our mum. We want justice for our mob. Um, it's hard at the same time to, you know, be hopeful because the system is built to oppress our people and it's built to constantly keep us down. So, you know, you, you, we want change and we want justice and we want all that at the same time, you know. It's just sort of thinking of how much are we actually going to be able to get when, you know, there's been something that we're constantly fighting for. Hmm. Now, um, the, the, the push to decriminalise public drunkenness um, has gained some, some, some power, at least in, in the community um, that sort of is, is led by Aboriginal people. Um, and in particular, I'm thinking about um, uh, public events and things like that. And let's talk a bit about Sobering Thoughts, public drunkenness reform in Victoria. This is an event that's happening next week on Wednesday, the 5th of June, uh, at the Wheeler Centre. Can you tell us a bit about that event? Yep, so it's uh, happening um, next Wednesday on the 5th of June, so that's between 6.15 and 7.15, and that's just, you know, um, a panel discussion just in regards to public drunkenness and, you know, the campaign and the push to abolish that. So it'll be a good event for everybody to come down to and just, you know, you get some more knowledge and get people more aware of the system and what's going on. Mm. Absolutely. Now, the, the event itself is free and tickets are still available. You can head to the Wheeler Centre and just search for Sobering Thoughts, Public Drunkenness Reform in Victoria, 
And I'm sure that if you head down to the Wheeler Centre in Little Lonsdale Street next to the State Library, you can probably speak to the staff there if you don't have access to the internet. Um, and um, at that event, we'll be hearing from Nyuka Gori, um, who is a Gunai Kurnai Gunditjmara Wiradjuri and Yoda Yoda um, writer. Um, also from Eddie Kabilo, who is an Aboriginal man with strong family links throughout the NT, um, with Larrakia and Wajigan um, heritage and Central Aranda heritage. And also Shalina Musk, who is, uh, who's part of the Human Rights Law Centre team and is also, um, has, uh, Larrakia heritage. Um, and of course April will be there as well. Um, April, thank you so much for coming on the show today and joining us in a busy time of morning. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast here on 3CR Community Radio. We'll play some quick community announcements. We'll be right back. Uh, stay tuned. My name is Ian Ham, and I'm the chair of the Healing Foundation's Stolen Generations Reference Group. At three weeks of age, I was separated from my birth family. And even though they lived just 50 kilometres away, I never knew they existed. I never met my mum, and it pains me to this day. There are thousands of Aboriginal people just like me, and our stories have never been heard. These stories form the basis of Australia's first Stolen Generations resource kit for schools. To download the kit, go to healingfoundation.org.au. A 3CR supporter. This is East Bay Ray from Dead Kennedys. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Have an orgasm for Christ. Uh, you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Thanks uh, for that, East Bay Ray. Um, so... Coming up, we're going to be listening back to an interview that I did um, earlier with Mojgan Morafizade, who is a community organiser and a leader of her community um, and also an Iranian refugee who is currently stuck in limbo in Indonesia. Um, Mojgan tells a bit, us a bit, a little bit about her own case, but mostly about the community of refugees and asylum seekers who currently live in a country that doesn't afford them any rights, um, who desperately want to come to a country which is signatory to the um, UN protections for refugees and asylum seekers um, and who uh, was blocked to the border by Australian border force. Um, and so let's, uh, let's listen in and hear what Mojgan Moirafizade has to say. I'm Mojgan Moirafizade, um, living in Indonesia since 2013 as a refugee and um, later I came to co-found the Refugee and Asylum Seekers Information Centre. Thank you for joining me on 3CR Community Radio. Um, so I might start, yeah. first of all, that Indonesia isn't a signatory to the UN Convention relating to the status of refugees and it doesn't really have its own infrastructure for determining refugee status. So what does this mean for the thousands of refugees and asylum seekers living in Indonesia? This means us as refugees and asylum seekers are living some sort of a half-life, some sort of a non-existence life that we, we are here, but we are not into account for anything, and we really don't have any uh, legality, like according to this country's law. Uh, we have no rights, and we can't really do anything with our UNHCR IDs. That, that means that you don't have basic services, is that right? Yes, that's right. Is that why you set up the Refugees and Asylum Seekers Information Centre? I'd like you to tell us a bit about that, if you could. Um, yes, right at the beginning, it wasn't for providing basic care. It was mostly for providing information, because about four years ago, I was involved in interpreting in legal aid sessions for refugees and asylum seekers when they were going through their interviews with UNHCR and 
other legal aid organizations. And step by step, I became the focal point of the community, people asking me questions constantly, contacting me to ask different sorts of information. So um, I talked to a friend, and they decided to put all this information into one platform and translate it into different languages to be able to provide this information for others and get less calls because it was getting overwhelming. But after a while um, of a starting, then we realized that there is a lot of need in the community that only us can help out, only refugees for refugees. And then we decided to design projects and go, go with the flow and actually try to provide basic cares. Yeah, and it sounds like you do really necessary work for the refugee and asylum seeker community. But have you received any support from the Indonesian government? Uh, no. No, no support. No support. Um, but and... they don't stop us from doing our activities. They're mm. actually supportive. Mm. And how about the, the wider community, just the, the people of Indonesia? Yes. Sometimes here and there we get support from the Indonesian community, but it only um, it's only a matter of raising awareness. It's only a matter of them knowing that it's okay to help refugees in Indonesia because usually there's a general fear around the situation of refugees in Indonesia. Why, why is that, do you think? It's, it's mostly because of the media. Like um, All of the media coverage is mostly negative and mostly about people living on the roads and being uh, a disturbance to the community. That's why they're a bit scared also knowing that refugees are coming from war-torn countries and link it together with um, topics like terrorism and, you know, they're a bit scared of people from the Middle East. Um, now, can we talk about the impact of Australian immigration and foreign aid policy? Um, over the course of successive governments, Australia's refugee intake has become more restrictive and our foreign aid contributions mm -hmm. have shrunk significantly. Um, over the right. course of the time that you've been in Indonesia, have you seen impacts of this? In, in particular, I'm thinking about the um, International Organization for Migration and how they've had their funding from Australia cut. Definitely. It's been the biggest impact. It's been uh, really the impact that we can see on a day-to-day -day basis on different sorts of requests that refugees have, the number of refugees who become more and more um, in trouble and become, uh, you know, it's more difficult for everyone to leave and there's no support or that little bit of support that was existing is being cut off. Um, but it both has negative and positive sides to it, you know. But uh, obviously, most of it is negative. Like, the, the biggest impact that the Australian policy has is another second detention for refugees in Indonesia. It's not just Manus and Noro. Indonesia is a result of that. It's a result of closing the borders. And it's horrible because uh, all the refugees were thinking, okay, it's fine. If the border is closed, it means that through UNHCR, we can still get there. We can still be safe. We can still have our human rights back. But unfortunately, even the way through UNHCR is closed, and that one is the one that is having the most big negative impact. Yes. Can you tell me about the UNHCR route? Um, so they, they help to classify a lot of people as refugees. Um, but the right. rates of resettlement are extremely low. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yes, the rates are extremely low. Like um, uh, two years ago, Australia was resettling at least 500 people from Indonesia. But uh, last year, it came down to 85 people. Just by that number, you can already tell how much it's been down. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, some nationalities have been excluded from this. Uh, like Iran, Somalia, South Sudan, they've been excluded from resettlement to Australia for whatever reason it is. 
and um, also people who register to UNHCR after July 2014 are also excluded from that. Mm. So you have people living a very precarious, informal existence, really, in Indonesia as refugees and asylum seekers, and the prospect of resettlement in Australia is very low. Um, are there are there other paths? Are there other hopes for either resettlement or gaining a higher quality of living in Indonesia? Higher quality quality of living in Indonesia is really out of the question because uh, it's really difficult. Like. In our advocacy groups, we keep talking about it, about livelihood rights for refugees and all that, but it's, it looks very impossible because both the local community and the government are very scared of it and very against it and thinking the big flow of refugees are going to come to Indonesia if they allow it. And it's, it's not something that is going to happen. Also, language barriers, cultural differences, all of this together, even if let's say refugees have the rights to livelihood, it would be very, very difficult to be able to live comfortable in Indonesia. And um, about, so, like, we were really, really hopeless in the past year, really, especially after UNHCR announced that there will no, there will be no resettlement for the next 20 to 25 years, that you're all going to be here, that just go on with your life or go back to your countries. But uh, it's been about a month that we are seeing a bit of resettlement towards Canada, which is a bit, you know, it brings a little bit of hope to the community. But again, it's for a very small number of refugees. Mm. Are you seeing specific types or backgrounds of refugees being settled in Canada? Yes. Yes, mostly emergency medical cases that have been in the queue for years. Mm. So we have seen a restriction of Australia's um, intake of refugees and a dip in our funding, and that's all from our government, who, who do have mm-hmm. support from some sectors of Australian of the Australian public. How do you, how do you reason um, that Australians, to some extent, support restricting refugee intake and things like that? Well, uh, there is always two parts to every community, and from the Australian community, we also heard a lot of comments that, yep, some people don't like a lot of refugees coming to their country for different reasons, and I totally understand that. Maybe there is a fear around a lot of people, like a big, big population of people with different culture, different background coming into the country, and the country is going to lose its balance. It's usually the general idea. It's the general fear around it. And I totally understand that, like, there's really no way around turning it around the other way unless that there is enough awareness for people to understand that these refugees really don't have any other option. If they could stay in their own countries, they would stay, and they need a safe place to go to. Transit countries like Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand are not places where we can live because of the the government and the country and how it is set up, it's really there's no space for refugees in these countries. Otherwise, we would we would happily stay. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the, the listeners of 3CR here in Melbourne of um, if there's any way that they can help or anything that can be done? There's always two things that I ask the Australian people to do. The first thing is that they can be really impactful by their votes by um, contacting their MPs and telling them about refugees in Indonesia. And for sure, the policies of Australia is going to be very greatly impactful on our situations in Indonesia. And the second way they can help out is definitely helping us on the ground with donating to our organizations and supporting us directly. Okay, so I've been speaking to Moshgan Moarefizade, who is a community organizer, a refugee who's been living in Indonesia since 2013. 
and a co-founder of the Refugees and Asylum Seekers Information Centre based in Jakarta, Indonesia. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you have You're a, welcome. Have a lovely day. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast, and that was uh, recorded back in uh, the at the end of January. Of course, the election has happened since then, and Australians uh, didn't necessarily vote um, in a way that'll help um, refugees and asylum seekers who are trapped in Indonesia. But you can still contact, if you wish, your your local representatives. Um, and I, I'll just say with that, Will, please keep up the pressure if this is something you want to follow. I mean, last year we saw record cuts to um, SRSS, which are kind of payments that go to refugees and asylum seekers in Australia to support them, social services, and um, also an ending to Red Cross's 25 years support of refugees, which also offered a lot of programs. Um, these have left a lot of families completely in lieu and it's 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 kind of sad that for a country that boasts you know in its national anthem that it shares and it has places to share and resources to share that we cut it off to such a vulnerable sector of our society who have come here literally for our help anyway Sorry, small rant over. Um, I just wanted to reference a quick snap action that's happening this morning. Now, it is happening in Canberra, so unless you're in the <laughs> ACT, not the best, but um, if you know anyone in ACT, give them a call. It's occurring at 9.30, and it's a swear to act on climate change uh, snap rally slash protest. So this is calling for the government ha- government to declare a climate emergency and declare that they will have climate action. Um, again, touching on the election the Liberal Party we've voted in was rated 4%, 4% effective on climate change policy by the ACF. The Australian Climate Conservati- Conservation, Conservation Foundation. Foundation sorry. Yes. <laughs> uh, so not really looking very positive for climate change. Uh, so this is, as I said, 9.30. It'll be at Dunrolsal Drive, which is D-U-N-R-O-S-I-L Drive, um, Yarramulla. Um, Yarralumla Yarralum. in Canberra. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so the reason why we mention it is because you can also follow them on social media just mm. to find out what's happening. Uh, so how can people do that? Yeah, so they're definitely on Facebook. Uh, their event name is literally called Swear to Act on Climate, mm. and it's hosted by Stop Adani in Canberra. Mm. So again, if you know anyone, definitely tell them to rock up if they're interested. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, yeah. just follow Stop Adani Canberra on Facebook. Absolutely, to keep update on what's yeah. happening there. Now, shall we do a quick uh, wrap-up of the show, what we've been doing? So, just Absolutely. earlier, we heard from uh, Mojgan Moarefizadeh, who is an um, Iranian refugee who is uh, currently living in um, Indonesia and is a community organiser. Um, earlier, we spoke to April Watson, who is a Wemba Wemba, Yoda Yoda and Barapa Barapa woman um, and daughter of Tanya Day, who is a proud Yoda Yoda grandmother who died in custody in 2017. Uh, April Watson will be speaking on the necessity necessity to decriminalise public drunkenness um, at the Wheeler Centre in an event that's happening on the 5th of June at 6.15pm. Uh, turn up to the Wheeler Centre on Little Lonsdale Street or head to their website and search for Sobering Thoughts Public Drunkenness Reform in Victoria to get your free tickets. Um, get in fast because I know that it'll be quite... Um, quite popular to get onto that list. It's a free event, but you do still need to book a ticket. Uh, and then earlier in the show, we spoke to Greg Rolls, who is a Christian anti-Adani protester um, who received a guilty verdict and a hefty, hefty fine for his protest um, blocking the Horizon train line that would um, do nothing but take coal over the barrier reef um, 
And uh, so there, there was that. And then at 7.30, we heard some Vox Pops. Yeah, we heard some Vox Pops from the snap action that occurred last Friday by Extinction Rebellion, mm-hmm. um, protesting, obviously, Adani, and also declaring, asking for a declaration of climate emergency by the government. Mm. Vox Populi, voice of the people. Vox so that's, that's what we heard earlier. Yep. Um, and then um, at the very top of the show, we spoke to... Rachel Linsky, who is Sustainable Cities Coordinator at Friends of the Earth Melbourne, talking about the North East Link major road project that the Andrews government is planning, $16 billion mm. to make super, super, super wide freeways through Melbourne and yeah. um, why this is something that you might want to get organised against. It's currently in uh, in receiving submissions. Um, so, yeah, this is the end of the show. Just quickly... What are you grateful for this week? I'm grateful for the rain. It came down mm. yesterday throughout the day, and it was absolutely beautiful to see my windows all drizzled. <laughs> I'm grateful that it's finally cold. It sounds weird, but mm. it was too weird for it to be so warm this late in May. Warm so, in May? No, yeah, it's, we're yeah. supposed to be freezing our socks off. Um, you've been listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Next up is Stick Together. Mm-hmm. You folks have a great week. Have a lovely Wednesday. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall. You can check them out at nibs.org.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.